Hi, welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Enjoy the message. So uh, as I get started, uh, by the way, I'm David Morrow and I'm uh, on the teaching team here at uh, Lighthouse. And so in terms of getting started, let me ask you, uh, let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever, not spiritually, but physically, been lost? All right. I'm not going to feel so embarrassed as I tell the following story. So when I told Clint, though, when, that, I was, that uh, my story includes that I was lost in the Maryville Mall, and he's like, was this like last week? So he's giving me a rough time. No. I was like in eighth grade. So... Um, so I'm like, so we were on our eighth grade trip to Chicago, and on the way back, we stop at the Maryville Mall for dinner and shopping and that type of thing. When we got to the Maryville Mall, they dropped us off our bus uh, into an anchor store, Macy's, JCPenney, something of that nature. And so we entered in the mall through this anchor store. Well... Problem number one is we didn't put in our brain which anchor store it was. We just, oh, yeah, this is one of these main anchor-type stores. We were supposed to meet at the bus at 9 o'clock. So around 9 o'clock, we decide we're, you know, we're on the bottom floor there. We went to an anchor store and then walked out, thought we'd find our bus. No bus was to be found. And you know, we walked around outside that store, and we couldn't find our bus. So then we walk on the first floor all the way to the other end of the mall, assuming we would find another anchor store or the correct anchor store. But there wasn't even a store. There was just a wall. There were no stores, no windows, no doors. And we're like, oh, well, maybe somehow we missed the, bu- missed the bus like at the other end. So we, uh, we get walking back. And one of my friends says the following, and he says, I think we came in on the second floor. Well, that was just too much for my eighth grade small town mind to handle. I probably said some smart aleck remark like, oh yeah, the floating parking lot out there, you know. And so so we continue to go to this, uh, you know, the, the wrong store. Uh, and eventually, the teachers who were on the second floor look down. They see us uh, walking around down there trying to figure out what we're doing. We were about 45 minutes late for the bus. So, I mean, it had taken us a while. And, uh, yeah, people, teachers were thrilled. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so we get back on the bus. And um, so, yeah, but to come to find out, the mall was built on a hill. That was just too, too much for my eighth grade small town mind to figure out. And uh, again, the problem was we didn't quite anchor well. We didn't, we didn't determine, hey, which store and which floor did we enter into? And that skill of anchoring not only helps us keep from getting lost in the Maryville Mall, but it's something that we see 
in a lot of areas of our life. That, that, that word anchor comes from things like, you know, a, a boat, for instance. You know, when you drop anchor on a boat, that keeps the boat from drifting all kinds of... You know where you're going to find the boat. When you go camping, when you anchor your tent down, you know where you're going to find your tent. The wind may come and blow it, but it's going to basically be in the place that you anchored it. But in addition to that, there's, this is skills that we pick up uh, in life in other areas. We, we anchor to concepts or ideas. For instance, you may have anchored to the idea that you're not going to, financially, you're not going to take on any more debt. So when you've anchored to that idea that you're not going to take on any more debt, you're not going to get too far from that idea. So when you want the new car or, your, or a new purchase, you can't move too far from that anchor like, oh, but I'm not borrowing because I'm keeping my debt low. Or perhaps you've anchored to the idea that you always or mostly want to enjoy your relationship and time with your spouse. So because you've anchored to that idea, you are not going to find yourself too far from that principle because you're investing in the concept that you're going to always enjoy time with your spouse. I know some church staff that have anchored to the idea that they will never be alone with someone of the opposite gender. They're just trying to put some protections in place that you'll not find them anywhere but this place that they have dropped anchor. But spiritually, there are some things that I'm convinced that Jesus, the disciples, they, they dropped anchor on. There's some spiritual concepts that we won't find ourselves too far from if we've dropped anchor on. Let me give you some spiritual or biblical anchors that I think were dropped. Mark 16, 16 says this, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So it's scriptures like this that have anchored in the value of belief and of baptism. That's why baptism is virtually a practice in all Christian denominations. Because it's something that Jesus dropped anchor on. We've dropped anchor on repentance. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God, that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Speaking to the concept of the idea, when you repent, that your sins are wiped out and refreshing comes. Just another anchor that was dropped. Now, if you'll hold that thought for a second, let me give you some context to the Scripture we're going to go to. We're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 2, and uh, I'm just convinced in this text there's some things that John has dropped anchor on. And the context to this is the following. John was over a large community of house churches in Ephesus. And they had began to, as a church community, go through a crisis. 
And what was happening is that there were followers of Jesus who were drifting from the faith. So John actually wrote the let, these letters to help keep that drifting, to help other believers know keep from drifting and to be encouraged to not drift. So I'm convinced in the context, the, the scriptures, the chapter we're going to be involved in, there's some things that John dropped anchor in, saying if you don't want to get too far from the faith, if you want to be found as a follower of Jesus, these things must be true in your life. And they will keep you from drifting. And so, our, uh, our series today, we're in a series called, we're starting it today, Living in Love, a study on the book of 1 John. Today's title, Living in Love, Anchored. So join me in 1 John 2, 3 through 8. Feel free to follow along on the screen, on your smartphone, in your Bible. 1 John 2, 3 through 8, just five verses, starting in verse 3. And it says this, We know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commands, whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Join me in prayer. So Heavenly Father, I just ask you to be with me today Lord, you be the speaker. Open our hearts to hear from you and help this message to be exactly as you would want it to be and help us to leave with the things that you would want us to have and the life change that you would want us to live out. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so anchoring point number one, follow his commands. Anchoring point number one, follow his commands. Let's go back to verse three, and it says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. John is pointing to the concept that if you call yourself a Christian, if you want to know if you are in the faith or not, he is dropping anchor on the idea that followers of Jesus follow his commands. He's making it clear. Followers of Jesus follow the commands of Jesus. 
So let's talk a little bit more, more about the commands of Jesus. Let's look at maybe what a few look like. Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which in reality is saying, as Christians, we don't have enemies. You may, be our, you may think we're your enemy, but as Christians, we don't have enemies. We have people we bless and pray for. And it's commands like this that at times feel difficult to live in 2022. But followers of Jesus must follow His commands. Next. Then He said to them, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Me. Followers of Jesus must take up their cross and deny themselves. We at times as followers of Jesus are going to have to lay aside the things that we want and aspire for and hope for and take up our cross and follow Him. It is no longer about us, but about Him. So yes, you're discovering pretty quickly the commands of Jesus are not always easy, if ever easy, to follow. Jesus said a little more about commands. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40 says the following. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbors as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus was looking at them and talking about commands, saying, all the law and the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament, hung on these two commands. And at the time, the Old Testament, these commands, those ideas, would have been the world's greatest ethic if you would have compared it to any other foundational system of culture at the time. It was transcendent above anything else that could be found. But then Jesus takes it a step further and says this, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is no longer saying that loving others like yourself is good enough. He's saying we must love others as He's loved us. If we do that, and can I just say this command, when you see in John that He's saying this is not a new command, this biblically was referred to as the law of Christ. And so before the canon, before all the canon and the Scripture was developed, they lived under what they called the law of Christ, which was simply this. Love others as I've loved you. And so that principle of loving others as I've loved you is the foundation for all of the other commands that you find in Scripture. 
If you follow that command, you won't violate any of the others. And I would challenge you to be able to articulate how the various sins that we understand exist violate that command. Because we are called to love others as Christ has loved us. That's the command. And follower of, followers of Jesus follow His commands. Followers of Jesus follow His commands. So let me tell you about a time that I did not do this well. I used to be an assistant manager at a Speedway convenience store. And I used to have to roll in there about 5 a.m. And before I got there, I had to drive down the street and get all the gas prices. And when I got there, I had to then enter that information into the computer so I could raise the gas prices. Yes, I was that guy. <laughs> now, I'm glad I'm not that guy now. Y'all have thrown me out on the street. Um, so, but I had a coworker. so about five days a week, um, you know, can I just say, I wasn't rolling in with my best attitude at 5 a.m., looking forward to raising all the gas prices on the public that will assume I'm enemy number one. So this was not the best Dave Merle. But this coworker, like every morning would like need something and I just wasn't always in a great place. Now I wasn't directly rude to her, but I was not the kind David Merle that I have capacity to be. And if you would be able to hook a microphone up to my inner dialogue, you might have heard things like, you get on my nerves. Now, don't judge me too hard. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. One morning, though, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and asked me the following question. Can you be nice to my daughter? My heart melted. My attitude changed. I repented because I, I publicly announced that I was a follower of Jesus. And I didn't want to be found to be a liar. And I know Jesus would have the capacity to smile at me at 5 a.m., so I ought to be able to treat others as he's treated me. Because followers of Jesus follow his commands. So let's ask ourselves a couple questions. Question number one. Who do I struggle seeing as a child of God? Who do I struggle seeing as a child of God? Do you struggle saying millennial or boomer without cringing? Do you have prejudices against rich or poor people? Do you struggle if maybe they just watch a different news channel than you? Who do you struggle seeing as a child of God? Next, how can I show them more, more of Christ's love? How can I show them more of Christ's love? We may not even, we shouldn't even ask the first question if we're not asking the second one. Who do I struggle seeing as a child of God? 
And how can I show them more of Christ's love? All right, anchoring point number two. They, they really go together real well. Anchoring point number two, live like Him. Live like Him. If we go back to 1 John 2, 5 and 6, it says this. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. Followers of Jesus live as Jesus did. John's dropping anchor. No exception. You don't want to drift too much far from the faith? Followers of Jesus live as Jesus did. Why don't we take a moment and let's just examine a little bit on how Jesus lived. We find in Matthew, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a dim den of robbers. So I know what some of you are saying. I get to flip some tables. I get to live like Jesus. Maybe, let's talk about it. First of all, I, I'm convinced that there's probably people in the room that when they've heard this story in the past, they focus on that first part where it says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Where, where Jesus is standing up for the sacred. He's standing up for God's home. And, and that's a, a valid part of that. But there's a, a second half of what he said. He said, but you are making it a den of robbers. You can't rob someone without a victim. He was making it a den of robbers. So let me tell you what was taking place. People were traveling long miles with their sacrifices, animals even, to present to God, to get a right standing before God. And the religious system of the day was exploiting people's good intention to stand before God, making themselves wealthy. And so there's an aspect of this story where Jesus is standing up for the exploited. Because living like Jesus does means Jesus stood up for those who were wronged. Jesus stood up for those who were wronged. As a follower of Jesus, sometimes it's just part of the deal. You may have to be the voice that stands up for someone being wronged. Do you have a coworker that's being bullied by a boss at work? Is there a system in our society that exploits others? Do you have someone in your family that's toxic? and abuses others. Jesus stood up for those who were being wronged. And as followers of Jesus, that will sometimes be our charge. To stand up for those who are being wronged. Next, if we go to Luke, it says this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That point is simple. Jesus forgave those who did wrong. Jesus forgave those who did wrong. You may have someone in your own life that has wronged you. A follower of Jesus forgives those who've done wrong. (laughs) And as if those two things aren't hard enough when it comes to living like Jesus. Let's go to 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. The third thing that I think Jesus did in his life was Jesus did no wrong. Jesus lived right. Jesus did no wrong. So here's my question for this point. We should ask ourselves, how can I live as Jesus lived? What would, be, what would the Spirit be challenging you with today? How can I live as Jesus lived? Let's look at the, Let's bring those points up. Jesus stood up for those who were wronged. Jesus forgave those who did wrong. Jesus did no wrong. Which one of those is the Spirit saying, you need to work on this today? This is the one I need you to address to live more like me do you have someone you need to stand up for is there someone you need to forgive or is there an attitude or habit or a way you treat others that needs to change how do you need to live like jesus what do you need to do to live more like jesus If we go back to 1 John 4, 17, it says this, This is how love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. I'll close with this thought. Your last fill in the blank is this. Jesus is how we live and love. Jesus is how... We live and love. I'm going to turn it back over to Matt. Well, that's it for today's message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthouseofvineyard.church. Thank you for being part of our family, and we will see you next time.